Okay, so let's get the mood going here. Imagine it. The coffee machine is bubbling and gurgling away in the corner. There's wood in the hearth, but no fire. Though it's heading into autumn if the weather this last weekend is anything to go by. The smell of musty paper and the subtle sweetness of vanilla is in the air, and you're gathered with some of your closest book friends to talk about your latest find. I'm Ray, and welcome to another episode of Not Before Coffee, The Bookshop, where I talk about my most recent reads and possibly, hopefully, encourage you to pick up a copy or two. I should probably put in a section here that lets you know how I am doing when it comes to my Goodreads challenge for the year, but then that would mean I need to acknowledge I am way behind where I need to be. I do wish that there was a way to select the type of challenge you're going to do. For me, this year has been somewhat about finding and reading new authors, just broadening my horizons a little. This week I picked another new author, to me at least, but the story I chose was not new. At least, that's what I thought when I went through my Kindle and decided on the book I was going to devour while enjoying a couple of quiet evenings accompanied by old episodes of Travels with My Father. The newest two episodes weren't the best, but it was nice closure to the series. Here we are, the third book review of season three and my 13th new author of 2021. The book for this week is one that inspired a film that won a total of 47 awards, including the Oscar for Best Actress. In fact, I have actually talked about this 2012 film in a previous episode, and I'll link that in the description below, so check it out if you haven't already. In that episode, I also talked about the effects that long-term furlough can have on mental health, with someone who was furloughed for over nine months during the early part of the COVID pandemic. This week, the book that spoke to me when I was scrolling through my actual, legitimate 100 unread novels on my Kindle was the 2008 debut novel from author Matthew Quick, The Silver Linings Playbook. Pat Peoples has a theory. The theory is this. His life is actually a movie produced by God. And Pat's God-given mission in life is to become physically fit and emotionally literate, whereupon God will ensure his movie is a rom-com, complete with happy ending, which, for Pat, means the return of his estranged wife, Nikki, from whom he's currently having some apart time. It might not come as any surprise to learn that Pat has spent several years in a mental health facility, When Pat leaves hospital and goes to live with his parents, however, everything seems changed. No one will talk to him about Nicky. His old friends have become families. His beloved football team keeps losing. His new therapist seems to be recommending adultery as a form of therapy. And he's being haunted by Kenny G. There is a silver lining, however, in the form of tragically widowed, physically fit and clinically depressed Tiffany, who offers to act as a go-between for Pat and his wife. If only Pat will give up watching football, agree to perform in this year's Dance Away Depression competition, and promise not to tell anyone about their contract. Easy, really. If you've seen the film and think, I don't need to read the book, 
then you're like I was when the unusual cover with a bald eagle on it, and I will post a picture of that on my Instagram, loaded as I clicked on the link to the book. I've seen the film, thought I. This will be a really easy read. I thought this as I started the first chapter, which is titled An Infinite Amount of Days Until My Inevitable Reunion with Nikki. Now, anyone who's seen the film will know that the dancing plays a large part in the story, that the widow Tiffany, played by Jennifer Lawrence in the film, is a dancer, and she persuades a reluctant Pat into becoming her dance partner. I kept on waiting for that moment to take place, and it did, but it was 60% of the way through the book, and that admittedly surprised me, given how much attention that particular plot point had been given in the story that I was familiar with. But before I get to that, I'm going to talk about the book itself, not about the book-to-movie differences and how they affect, in my view, the story itself. So, in the beginning, we're introduced to Pat Peoples. He has been in a neural hospital, as they keep on referring to it in the book, for what he believes to be a few months. He is obsessively exercising because his wife, Nikki, loves a fit man, and while they were married, he had let himself go a little. He's determined that when their apart time, as he refers to it, ends, he will be toned healthy and have the sort of muscular body that he believes she wants him to have. He has a theory that his life is a film being directed by God and the silver lining he is working towards will be the end of this apart time. He has no recall of what led them to this point, just that Nicky will take him back and his silver lining will be them together again. His mother Jean comes to collect him and take him home, having driven from New Jersey to Baltimore to make sure her son is where she believes he belongs. I actually love Jean. She is a mother who wants to protect her children and everything she does is done with the best of intentions, but sometimes she takes a few steps in the wrong direction and it's a little bit misguided. She is a good woman who is in a very difficult situation and she occasionally struggles, but she really is her son's champion above anything else. Once home, it's incredibly clear that Pat and his father do not get along. His father doesn't want him in the house and he is outright dismissive of his son, angry at his wife and just generally a very unpleasant and uncompromising man. Looking through my notes in the book, and I have to say, as a total aside, I really love this aspect of the Kindle, and I wish I'd been able to do this with all my university text, it would have made it so much easier. I have stated several times that Pat's own anger issues could be easily laid at the feet of his dad, who reacts with violence whenever things don't go his way. He has a history of hitting out when his team, the Eagles, lose a game, and during one such incident, he injured somebody so badly that they ended up in hospital. Pat's father is quite a brutal man, and throughout the book there are many indications that he is not the most sympathetic towards his son, and believes his wife is overindulging Pat and mollycoddling him by protecting him from the truth, though he also does nothing to share this truth with him, instead keeping his distance and saying very little in the way of anything unless it's to do with football. For all that his father may as well not be there at all, only talking with Pat when the football is going well, Pat has quite a strong support network, though many of them are somewhat cautious and really have no idea what he is going through or what he has experienced. Even though he is home, Pat is still trying to improve himself, prepare for when the apart time is over. He works out for hours a day, 
doesn't take all the medication he's been prescribed, drinks a lot. I think at one point it's mentioned he drinks four gallons of water a day using shot glasses and goes to his prescribed therapy sessions with Dr. Cliff Patel, who was a great character in the film and is an amazing character in the book. In fact, in the book, he plays a much larger role. Pat has particularly violent reactions to anything musically connected to saxophonist Kenny G, to the point that it can send him into an absolute rage. Kenny haunts his dreams, and if he hears anything played by him, he is uncontrollable, something that is revealed very early on in the book. Kenny G taunts him, but initially it's very difficult to understand why this actually occurs. During one of his runs, Pat meets up with an old school friend, Ronnie, who he lost touch with because Nikki didn't like Ronnie's wife, Veronica, and would make fun of her and her dinner parties quite often. When Nikki and Pat moved to Maryland, they no longer saw their friends, though Ronnie continued to write, sharing news about his life. This friendship is rebuilt slowly, and when Pat is introduced to Ronnie and Veronica's toddler daughter, Emily, he falls in love with her baby smell, and wonders what it would be like to have a daughter with Nikki, something they need to talk about when they get together again. It's through his rebonding with Ronnie that he is introduced to Tiffany, Veronica's sister. She's going through a lot and keeps herself closed off. Like Pat, she is going through therapy after suffering a mental break when her husband died suddenly. She is abrupt, detached, and it sometimes seems as though she uses her mental condition as an excuse to behave how she wants without a care anyone else's feelings. It's very clear that people are hiding things from Pat. To him, barely any time has passed since he saw his family. His apart time with Nikki will be easily glossed over because it was bare months, but it's been four years. A lot has changed and he struggles to connect the dots, even when presented with the evidence. He tries to justify how things can still fit into his timeline, even when it's very obvious they can't. Pat knows that he cannot, for some reason, communicate with Nikki and she with him, so when Tiffany presents him with an opportunity to get in touch with his wife, at the same time revealing that Nikki divorced him while he was in hospital, he jumps at the chance, even though it means that he is going to have to abandon his beloved football and learn how to dance. Tiffany is wily. She knows that what she wants and she knows how to get it. What she wants is a dance partner for a competition, and because Pat is strong and energetic and likes to exercise, he is the perfect person for the job. As to knowing how to get it? Well, as someone who has befriended Pat, relating to him through their shared mental health experiences, she uses his desire for his wife and their reconciliation. And Pat's friend calls it so well when he tells Pat not to trust Tiffany. I know what I was expecting when it came to this book, but I'm not sure that I got it, mostly because the story was so different from the one that I was familiar with. If reading this book has taught me anything, it's that there are certain elements of a novel that will never work on screen. The film happens over a very compacted period of time, while the book starts with events that happened over four years previously, though Pat's perceptions of them are incredibly different. 
In the book, Pat missed out on friends getting married and having children, his own brother's massive cathedral wedding to a woman Pat didn't even know existed because his mother believes that he, she was protecting him by getting people to hide parts of themselves to aid his healing. Pat is stuck in a moment in time because he doesn't want to remember the events that brought him to the point he exists in. He has blocked out the unpleasantness. He believes that he was a horrible husband and Nikki was perfect. The story is a study of mental health and brain trauma, but it doesn't go too deeply into either. We know that Pat takes medication, that Tiffany also takes medication, but no names are given, no treatments are discussed. It's just taken as read that this is the situation they are in. In many ways, the story itself is disjointed because we know there are other events taking place, but everything is seen through Pat's eyes, apart from a few instances where we get to see things from Tiffany's perspective in a letter that she writes. One thing that really struck me, though, when it came to differences between the book and the film is that when reading the book, we get the chance to see a slow development of the dependency that Tiffany and Pat share. Tiffany finally opens up and admits that the biggest cause of her grief, the thing that made her fall apart when her husband died so suddenly, was guilt. Not because she'd cheated on him or anything anywhere near so cruel, but because she had turned him down for sex and she is sure this made him feel unwanted and he died feeling that she didn't want him any longer. Her grief is logical and heartbreaking at the same time. It turns out, of course, that Pat's trauma is not quite so straightforward. He lives under the delusion that his wife will take him back, but it's been four years. They're divorced and she's married with children. She wasn't the perfect wife. She cheated on him, possibly repeatedly, with a colleague, and his head trauma was caused when Nikki hit him over the back of the head with a radio playing Kenny G., when he discovered her having sex with another man in their house. Not going to justify the fact that Pat attacked this man and nearly killed him, but it's as though he has been living with an illusion all this time, and no one did much in any way to dissuade him for fear it would damage his recovery. Overall, this book was an experience. It was written from an interesting perspective and covered themes that I know are covered in other books, but from a different perspective. Pat's thoughts and feelings and the fact that the story is told from his view give you a completely different idea of events, one you wouldn't have seen if you'd been reading through the eyes of someone who is in full charge of their faculties at all times. Did I enjoy it? I did. But at the same time, it really wasn't what I'd expected. I think that I was blinded by the film and I was sure that the book would be more like the story that I saw on screen. There are many elements that are the same. At the core, the book and the movie are both about the building of a relationship and developing the tools to cope with mental health in a world that is struggling to understand you. But if I'm being totally honest, the book and the film are on two very different paths after that point. They seem to converge for some things, like the dancing, but the film only briefly touches on everything that is going on around Pat, and I think that this is a shame. It would have been nice to see more of a build in Tiffany and Pat's relationship, and also the rebuilding of the relationship he had with his brother, 
who he is incredibly close to in the book. Will I read it again? Like many of the books I've actually picked up this year, this will go on the I might do list when it comes to a reread. The story is involved, the characters are fascinating, and I can relate to many of the stories of therapy and medication, but that doesn't make it a book that I would read to pass some time and relax, because it's not that kind of book. It's a book that has a very strong collection of characters, and it's probably for that reason I would postpone reading it again for a very long time. Would I recommend it to other readers? Yes. I think that it's a well-written book with many emotional twists and turns, sure. If you've seen the film, you'll have an inkling of how it ends, but the journey to get there is actually more different than you would expect. Unlike The Martian, where I couldn't see anyone else in the role of Mark Watney when I was reading his lines on the page, as I mentioned, I didn't feel that same connection between the characters on the screen and those on the page. They were different enough. And it's for this reason that I can honestly say, even if you have seen and love the film, you will be getting something very new with this book. Well, I am going to be back on Thursday with a film review. It's Disney, but it's not animation, and it's also not a Disney Channel original. I'm really looking forward to talking about it, as I find it one of those fun watches that I can re-watch multiple times. Oh, and I should also say, it's not MCU either. The last cup has gone in the dishwasher, the closed sign has been turned around, so it's time to end this, another episode of The Bookshop. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll come back again for more. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a review or give a star rating on Podchaser. No feedback is bad feedback if it's constructive. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or on Instagram at not before coffee podcast. Well, I have to go and pick another book from the shelf for next week and settle down with another cup of coffee. Until next time, this is me saying... Farewell.